So you ever notice how many um, idioms there are in our language that uh, involve the hand? Uh, you know, what, is, what does it mean to get your hands on, on something? You know, how about, how about a, you know, I'm going to get my hands on some money? That's not, that's not going to happen. But, uh, you know, what does that mean? It means I'm going to take possession of it. Uh, you know, what, there's, there's a recognizable company. Their, their slogan is, you're in good hands with this company. What's that company? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a clever, it's a clever slogan because everybody knows what it means and it's, it's memorable. You know, whether, whether or not it's true that you're in good hands with this company, everybody knows what it means. And uh, the advertisers hope that you'll put your money in their hands. You know, what does it mean to what does it mean to be in good hands? It means you're going to be well cared for. It means you can uh, you can trust the hands that you're in. Uh, you know you're you're, you're going to be handled or, or cared for by a by a competent party. You know, if you bring your children to our, our church nursery, you can be assured that your children are going to be in good hands. You know, what, is, what does it say about doctors and nurses in a particular hospital when you're admitted if you're told that you're going to be in good hands? You know, you're, they're going to take the best care for you. For you. Uh, they're going to provide you a safe and uh, efficient treatment. You know, doctors' hands are referred to as healing hands. You know, if I if if I'm a person who cares about you, I'm going to lend you a hand. I, you know, I'm going to give you a helping hand. You know, if, if if somebody's if somebody's hand is in something, you know, say say for instance, so and so had a hand in running a company. You know, it means that they were involved. They they played a significant part. You know, if I if I put my hand on your shoulder, I'm giving you encouragement. You know, you can. I'm, I'm showing you that I, that I care for you. In the in the Bible, what does it what does it mean when when hands are laid on somebody? Yeah, it's it's blessing. It's uh, it, it signifies maybe a consecration. You know, setting somebody apart for for ministry. Uh, it might be for healing, you know. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about uh, God's hand in our life, God's hand. You know, it's, it's used really to, to signify all these things. You know, it, it, it signifies blessing. It signifies uh, something good normally. You know, it uh, it means he's involved in everything we do. Uh, you know, if God's hand is is not on us, you know, it's probably because we're trying to rely on ourselves. So, you know, can can we work so hard at something like maybe building a career or getting good grades in school or ministering in the church or being a great parent? Can we do that on our own? You know, can we? Is it easy for us? I think it is to forget that our success really depends on on God's involvement and God's blessing in our endeavors. You know, is that something we think about? Does it matter to us whether we have God's blessing or, or involvement? 
Or do we just merely depend on ourselves, our skills, our knowledge, our, our cleverness, our initiative, our hard work? You know, there's nothing wrong with these things in, in and of themselves. But uh, I, I'd like to suggest that we need God's hand. We need his blessing. We need his involvement in, in everything we do. So we're going to talk today about living lives under God's hand. Lives which uh, seek to know him, seek to depend on him. You know, lives where we not only know about God, but we know him. You know, it's not enough to know about him. We need to desire him as individuals and as a congregation. You know, we, need, we, we all need to have a personal relationship with him. Well, our text today is from Ezra 7. We finally meet Ezra after all this time. You know, this, this book is called Ezra, and we haven't even talked about Ezra. But we finally are introduced to Ezra in this chapter. Ezra comes to Jerusalem after the temple is rebuilt. And that's about uh, 516 B.C. It's uh, really in the chronology of the Bible. It's, it's after the story of Esther, which uh, occurs about 483 to 471 B.C. In the chronology of the uh, restoration phase of Israelite history, Ezra comes to Jerusalem after the temple is rebuilt, after the story of Esther. Um, it's been about 58 years between the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. 58 years. You know, that's almost as long as the, uh, the dispersion, you know, the uh, time they spent in, uh, in Babylon away from Jerusalem. So a good, good amount of time has passed. You know, we, I remember uh, when I was a kid, if somebody was 58 years old, that seemed pretty old to me. You know. <laughs> now it just seems like nothing. And from a thematic perspective, uh, when Ezra comes, uh, we see the second of three returns to Jerusalem. The three of them in, in uh, the across the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Remember, Ezra and Nehemiah in the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible is just one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. So the first one focused on the uh, physical rebuilding of the temple. The second one is led by Ezra, where he's bringing more people from Babylonia, and it's a, it's a spiritual rebuilding, the rebuilding of, of the people. And then uh, later on in uh, Nehemiah, it's for rebuilding the city, rebuilding the walls of, of Jerusalem. Well, let's look in Ezra 7. And I want you to uh, take note of the times in this chapter that God's hand is, is mentioned. Ezra 7, starting in verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Merioth, son of Zeriah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abisha, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, 
son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra, this Ezra who descended from the the priestly line of of Aaron. Remember Aaron way back, uh, Aaron, the, the brother of Moses? So this guy's got the genealogy. He's got the lineage. He's he's the real deal. He's a he's a, a a priest from the Aaronic line. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was on him. And there went also, or and there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day in the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statues and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandment of the Lord in his statutes of Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God and of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel who's dwelling in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly, for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them all on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers, do with the rest of the silver and gold. You may do according to the will of your God." The vessels that have been given to you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God in Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls for you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God in heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, 
or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who did not know him, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem, who extended to me this steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Of course, that was Ezra on that that last paragraph. Let's look at God's hand on Ezra. Just just from that reading, you just see that God is continuing to use these pagan kings to bless God's people, to restore the uh, temple in Jerusalem. The temple's been rebuilt, and now Ezra's going to go back and, you know, it says here, beautify the temple. And the, the, the king is serious about this. Uh, you're not going to pay taxes on this. Nobody's going to charge you uh, customs or tribute or anything. And anybody who doesn't obey God's laws, uh, bad things are going to happen. Amazing that God would put this on the king's heart, as, as Ezra has said. Well, I'd like to look at the, uh, the what, why, and how of God's hand in this chapter. What, you know, what is God's hand in the Bible? Why was God's hand on Ezra and how was Ezra affected by God's hand being on him? So first, what, what is God's hand? You know, God's hand is mentioned many times in the Bible and um, it always refers to God's direct involvement, you know, practical matters, God's direct involvement in, in people's lives. Um, but what is it really? What is God's hand? You know, the first mention of God's hand is in uh, Exodus 3. And God said these words to Moses concerning his plans to uh, deliver the Israelites from their uh, slavery in Egypt. Exodus 3.20 says, I, I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. So it sounds very far from uh, blessing, but it's definitely God's direct involvement. The word translated hand is is the Aramaic word yod, yod, and uh, you know it literally means a, a hand, an open hand. But it also uh, can indicate power and means or or direction. You know, God told Moses that he was going to stretch out his hand against the Egyptians. That means, or it meant he was going to exhibit his power in Egypt. And that's what he did. You know, he demonstrated to the Egyptians, to the Israelites, that he is a mighty God. Power. If we say that God's hand is on you, it means that God is working in your life. You know, it's typically a positive thing, but we've, we've already seen that it can also have a negative connotation. Uh, you know, it was for the Egyptians. 
You know, the hand of God indicates his power, his ability to work, to accomplish his will. We, we see his hand in uh, creation, and we see it in all of his, his dealings, every aspect of his dealings with, uh, with humankind. Uh, in Exodus 15.6, it says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. You know, even if we choose not to acknowledge God, uh, we're, we're all in his hands. Uh, let's look at some verses. Just a series of verses that'll, that'll give you a, 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 good, a good indication of what God's hand is in the Bible. Isaiah forty nine sixteen. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continuously before me. Ecclesiastes 9.1 says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Psalm 31.15, My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Rescue a deliverance. Isaiah 64.8, And now, O Lord... You are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. You know, that's a beautiful picture of God's involvement, you know, molding us and making us, having his, his will done with us. First Peter 5, 6 through 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We keep hearing all these references to uh, God's timing today. Isn't that interesting? Job 12.10. In his hands is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So you get an idea of it. Let's, uh, let's move on to uh, the Why? You know, these, these verses really paint a good picture for us. Uh, now, let's, let's look at Ezra in, in particular and see why was God's hand on, on Ezra? You know, or, or was there some reason that God uh, chose to, to use Ezra the way he did? Is there, is there some requirement? Uh, verse 6 says that Ezra was a, uh, a scribe. He was skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given him. Uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, The good hand of God was upon him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And especially from this passage and from verse 10, you know, we see that um, you know, Ezra obtained God's blessing on his life by living God's word. Uh, notice, notice it's mentioned twice that God's hand was on Ezra. You know, the first time it says that, he, that God granted, or excuse me, the king granted Ezra all he asked because God's hand was on him. You know, Ezra obtained the, uh, the king's favor because he had God's favor 
This phrase that God's hand was upon him is used uh, six times in the, in the book of Ezra. Next, next week we're going to keep talking about God's hand because it, there's three in this chapter, there's three in, in chapter 8. But six times, you know, I, I'd say that uh, that's kind of a signal maybe that we need to pay attention to this. And I, I love this phrase, you know, it, it just, uh, again, you know, it denotes God's acting on our behalf, his involvement, his, his help, his favor, his blessing. Uh, but on Ezra here, you know, in, in Ezra's heart and soul, Ezra was committed to three things. You know, first it says that uh, Ezra studied God's word. He was, he was skilled in God's word. He was skilled in the law. He, he knew the scriptures. You know, he wasn't just a casual reader of, of the scriptures. You know, he wasn't content with two minutes every morning in, in daily bread. He knew the Bible inside and out. Uh, he, he had a, just a, a heartfelt passion for, for God's word. Verse 10 said that he had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. You know, he was, he was devoted. He just had that urge, that, that hunger for, for God's word. He, he knew how uh, precious and how valuable God's word was in his life. You know people who model this? I, I, I've known several. Um, a lot of times these people have just very well-worn Bibles. Uh, this this one guy I knew in Montana, his Bible was all held together by, by duct tape. He had, he had poured so many hours into it. Um, you know, like, like Ezra, he, he loved the word of God. You know, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 1, where it talks about God's word. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the, seat of the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffer, scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted near streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all he does, he prospers. This is talking about a person who, because of loving God's word, has God's hand on, on him. His delight is in the law of the Lord, just like Ezra, who set his heart to studying God's word. Um, what happens when we neglect God's word? Uh, I've known people who suffered from hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and uh, when they don't eat, they get really grouchy. You need, you need to keep their bellies full. And that's how we are with, with God's word. You know, what, what happens to our, our spiritual lives? What happens with our spiritual disposition when we uh, neglect spending time in the word? You know, that's our, that's our spiritual nourishment. We need it. God's word is... It's food for our souls. You know, our, our well-being depends on this, this nourishment. I see some smiles. Uh, you know, God's word is, is likened to bread in Matthew 4.4, 4, where Jesus quotes, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. 
And Ezra didn't just stop at reading the word. He didn't just stop at being skilled and and loving it and and setting his heart for it. It said he had set his heart also to doing the word, doing the law, living it. There's a huge difference between knowing the Bible and actually living it. Uh, Ezra put his Bible knowledge into practice. You know, James says in, in the New Testament, he says, be doers of the word. Not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know what? What good is it if you are a Bible expert but you don't live the Bible? You don't live God's word. You don't apply it to your life. Um, yeah. Let me give you an illustration. Our 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 da- one of our daughters. We won't mention her by name. In her teen years, she she really got into horses. And she she would go to the school library and check out every book she could find on horses. She knew all the all the breeds. She knew how to care for horses. She knew how to ride them from reading the books. She knew how to do everything, everything about horses. She was just passionate about horses. And so um, we got a horse. Got a beautiful horse. She, she's an American saddlebred uh, named Cinnamon. And we found out that when it when it came to applying this knowledge, how to how to take care of a horse and you know spend time with it, how to groom it, and all these things, she lost interest really quick. You know, she she didn't want to apply that knowledge. She she was all no and no do. Uh, she she knew about horses, but she did not know horses. You know, in the same way, biblical knowledge is good. We, we want to know scripture. We, we want to seek to learn all we can from God's word. Uh, we, we need to have that hunger for, for his word. You know, the Bible gives us all we need to know to, to walk the Christian walk, to, to know God, to live with each other, to, to function as, as a family, to to thrive as, as a church. The Bible gives us all that. But we need to apply it. Uh, so Ezra, Ezra knew it. He set his heart to knowing it, studying it, and doing it, living it out practically in his life. Finally, Ezra's love for the law made him a teacher of God's word. And I think the order here is is significant. You know, in order to put God's word into practice, of course, we need to know it. In order to teach the word, you need to live it. I remember when I was in in seminary, one of the uh, classes on theology, uh, our our professor said, you know, there, there are some seminaries where they intentionally hire atheists to teach theology. And I was wondering, well, how does that work? You know, these guys knew all the the biblical principles. They knew the philosophical arguments and everything, but they didn't believe it, and they certainly didn't live it. To teach it, though, to properly teach God's word, you, you need to know it and you need to, to live it. Yeah, we, we need to know 
experientially that that life-transforming power of, of God's word. And I think it's important for all of us to be able to share God's word, to be teachers in, in one way or another. Uh, most, most here probably would say, no, I, I'm not a teacher. You know, that's not my gift. But uh, God wants us to be fluent in speaking of his word, whether it's, whether it's in our, our church with other believers, whether it's in our houses with our spouses and our, our children. We need to bring God's word to bear and talk about it. Remember in the, the Shema in, in Deuteronomy, you know, when you're on the road, when you're at home, when you're at the table, when you're whatever you're doing, you know, if you're eating at McDonald's, Talk about these things. Talk about God's word. You know, that's what he says. Talk about it. Teach it. Uh, Ezra loved the word, but he didn't hoard it. Uh, Ezra, rather than being content to uh, to fill his storehouses, uh, he distributed the wealth of God's word to others. And so God's hand was on Ezra because he was a, a servant and a leader under, under the authority of God's word. And God blesses the lives of those who live by God's word. So, Ezra's life demonstrated these, these three things. You know, study the Bible, make it a daily priority, put what you learn into practice. What what good does it do if you know about soteriology? Does anybody know what soteriology is? It's the uh, branch of theology that that is about salvation. We had a whole semester on it in in seminary. What good does it does it do to to know this stuff if we don't know if we don't know it experientially? What good does it know, what good does it to know about soteriology if we don't uh, share the gospel, you know, let people know about the saving grace of, of Jesus Christ. What, you know, number three, uh, we need to find opportunities and context for teaching others. So Ezra points out in practical terms what resulted from God's hand on him. You know, how was how Ezra affected by, by God's hand? What, what are the results? Uh, first, uh, it says the king granted him all he asked for. And we, we've seen this in the previous chapters. You know, God, God stirred the hearts of kings. He, he moved the hearts of kings to, to provide for the return to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, to stock it with the the precious vessels and, and so forth, you know, from Cyrus on, supplying the needs, furnishing it, um, protecting God's people from, from enemies. Uh, all this be, was God's intervention. This was, this was God's hand on his people. God's hand even on, on the pagan kings as, as, they, as they obeyed him, as they responded to God's stirring Second, God's hand provided Ezra, Ezra with uh, 
safe passage, successful passage from Babylonia to uh, Jerusalem. Verse 9 says, For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of God was on him. Number three, our, his, his faith was strengthened. He was, he was encouraged. You know, God's hand gives us courage to do what he has told us to do. We see this in the last verse. 27, I took courage for the hand of the Lord, my God, was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. You know, God gives us all things to do. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a ministry in the church. Maybe it's a ministry in your home. You know, where, wherever you are, whatever contact, context, God is going to give you things to do. You know, the, the Christian life is, is not a, a passive life. But he'll give us the help that he needs, or that we need. He gives us the help that we need. He's, you know, Jesus promised his disciples before he ascended that he'd be there for me. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you. To continue my mission. You know, Jesus said he came to seek and save that, that which was lost. And he told his disciples, make disciples. Continuing Jesus' mission. And he says, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I am with you always, he said. So this, the same promise of, of the Spirit and, and of power in God's hand in our life uh, is for us too. You know, we can, we can take courage knowing that God's hand is on us. When, when we witness to others, he's, he's there. When we encounter opposition from the, from the enemy, he's there. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. God told Joshua in Joshua 1, 4 through 6, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So as we come to a close, you know, Ezra could have taken credit for what a great job he did, you know, bringing another group back, beautifying the temple, leading a, a, a spiritual revival. But he didn't. You know, he acknowledged that God's hand was, was the reason. It was because of God's gracious uh, involvement at every step along the way. You know, we need God's hand on us. We need his, his involvement in our, in our lives. You know, he's, he's working in us and through us every day. Uh, I don't know about you, but I want his hand of blessing. I, I want his hand of power, just, just as it was with Ezra. So let's, let's be mighty in the scripture. There, this reminds me of a, uh, of a verse in, in Acts where Apollos is introduced, and it says that Apollos was a man who was mighty in the scripture. Mighty in the scripture. Wow. Wow.
mighty. We want his we want his hand. We want his involvement. Let's let's be well versed in God's word. Let's let's do it. Let's live it. Let's apply it to every aspect of our lives. And let's also be uh, teachers of God's word, you know, bringing God's word to, to others, bringing God's word into our, our conversations, into our homes, into our families, into our, our workplaces, uh, into our classrooms uh, with each other. Okay. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I'm encouraged by by this chapter. And I, I praise you, Lord, for uh, working out your will in our lives. Uh, thank you for your, your hand on us, uh, your, your hand of blessing and your, your hand of, of power and your, your hand of help and healing. Uh, thank you, Lord, for, for giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, for, for equipping us through your word to, to know how to know you, how to know how to live, knowing how to live. You know, let, let your word, Lord, be to us, a, uh, as, as the psalmist says, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, let us hide your word in, in our hearts that, that we might not sin against you. Lord, let your word uh, guide us and, and equip us. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in the awesome name of of Jesus, our Savior, who is with us always. It's in his name we pray. Amen.